Welcome to the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, podcastforseedsing.com. I am your host, R.D. Kulik, and back for the second time. Maybe he'll become the regular other host as uh, the best on the other side of the Mississippi. That's Ty Kulik. How are you today, Ty? Hi, everybody. Yeah, two weeks in a row. I, I love that you say maybe I'll become your co-host <laughs> when I have been your co-host all along. Yeah, I think there's 300 and something episodes, and I think at least 300 of them. But uh, I guess it's, it's like we're starting anew. It's like we're bringing the old crew back together. We're like the B-Sharps uh, reuniting <laughs> on, uh, t- on the top of Moe's Tavern. I was going to say, it's like the, uh, I guess people don't call them remakes anymore, the reimagining of the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. Yeah, which is just like the old one, because the old one's great <laughs> anyway. Exactly. Okay, Ty, I'm going to I'm going to talk about a, a kind of a darker subject, but it's there's some stories in here I wanted to tell you. And I picked all these out because this is me. This is kind of like my therapy of remembering actors who died, like I, I remembering what actors' last movies were, okay? And how amazing a career somebody can have for them to end up being the voice of a throwaway cartoon, which everybody knows what I'm talking about, which also I'm going to tell you is not exactly true anyways. But no, I I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, you'll find out. But I wanted (laughs) to talk about like actors, well-known actors and what their last movie role was. Some of them in the second half, I'm going to mention a little TV. It's amazing to me that this isn't, for the most part, these are going to be actors that were either really well-known or were on their way to becoming superstars. And the first half is going to be me telling you a few stories that are just more interesting trivia the second half i'm not going to lie to you ty it's going to be some of the darkest stuff we've ever done because i'm going to talk about actors that died on set oh and there's a brutal and there is a particular story that you're going to walk away with and tell me i'm a i'm a big jerk for telling you and you're going to have to think of something nice to say at the end stop me if i'm saying something but the only one of these i actually know of is uh brandon lee from the crow we will talk about brandon lee i'm going to talk about that in the second half so okay. i'm gonna tell you why i decided to do this is you know recently olivia newton john passed away and everybody was talking about it and one of the things a lot of people were going back to was her movie xanadu which was not her final film here's the thing about xanadu is i every time i hear that i think of the reno 911 clip where the dude's roller like skating. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Swartzen's Terry character. Mm-hmm. And he said, like, you know, why don't you go Xanadu your way out of here? So do you know anything about Xanadu? Uh, no, I know that it's like, I, I, I think it takes place in the future. And I know the song Xanadu. But I, I often get it mixed up with Waterloo when I'm singing it. <laughs> and uh, I know Olivia Newton-John's in it, but I couldn't tell you what it's about when it came out. Even if it is futuristic or not, I truly have no idea. Okay, so I remember seeing Xanadu in college, not thinking much right. of it. It's widely known as a terrible film, okay? It's widely, a lot of people say it's, it gets listed a lot of times as one of the worst movies ever made. But there's been this, re, especially after the death of Olivia Newton-John, some people have kind of been revisiting it. Another podcast, one I listened to, 1-900-HOT-DOG, which is basically... Old Cracked, if you liked Crack when the old guys were there, that's basically what this is. And they did, this is about a year ago, they did an episode where they watched Xanadu, and all of them talked about how, you know, it's actually not as terrible as people make it out to be. So, Ty, I watched Xanadu. And recently? I watched it. No, I watched it just this last weekend. Okay. And I, I told you I'm getting into, I've already gotten into my vinyl, I've got my comic books, now I'm buying Blu rays and 4Ks. 
The first thing I'll tell you about Xanadu on uh, Blu-ray looks amazing. I mean, it looks gorgeous. I got whatchamacallit, Streets of Fire on 4K, and it looks terrible. Or on a Blu-ray. But this looks really good. And Xanadu, very quickly, Ty, is basically about a, an author, not an author, a painter, who doesn't like what he's doing because he's painting for money or something. And all the old Greek muses get awoken, and Olivia Newton-John is one of them, and they fall in love, and... I know it's not making a lot of sense yet, and it will make even less sense as I go and also, on. Also, it's awakened, just so people don't yell at you for oh, proper improper grammar. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> and uh, so there's a lot of roller skating in it. Okay. About a third of the way through the movie, the main actor who is in the movie The Warriors, the main actor sees Gene Kelly, legendary singer, dancer, Hollywood legend Gene Kelly playing not it's Gene Kelly playing somebody. Just sitting on the beach playing the clarinet. Okay. They decide to become friends, and Gene Kelly and this other guy decide they're going to reopen a club, and they're going to call it Xanadu, and there's a lot of roller skating. I think I might have mentioned that already. Yeah. It doesn't take place in the future, then? No. I was no, wrong about that. Oh, no. Okay. It is widely known. People hate the movie but love the soundtrack, and it's Electric, Electric Light Orchestra did a lot of the music, along with Olivia Newton-John. There's some very songs like Xanadu and um, a couple of other songs that are extremely famous songs. But the movie's also known for being Gene Kelly's last film. Now, again, this guy, Hollywood legend, all right? Mm -hmm. Just one of the most widely, is singing in the rain. I mean, all just one of the most widely known great entertainers of like the 1950s and 60s. And I'm going to tell you something about Xanadu, Ty. He's great Mm -hmm. in this movie. I mean, is he he, dancing at all? He does some dancing. He is great, but he's genuinely a good actor. The problem with Xanadu is the lead actor. He's not very good. But Gene Kelly is honestly great, and they stick him on roller skates at one point that he looks way uncomfortable with. But it's so, but the thing is, this this incredible career for his last movie to be this flop. And the story that I always heard was that he had cancer and da da da. No, that's not true at all. This movie came out in 1980, and he died in 1996. Oh, The reason why this was his last movie is he was fed up with Hollywood after it and retired from acting. Good for him. (laughs) (laughs) Good for him. (laughs) When you're done, you're done, I suppose. I mean, it's famously, I I didn't do the research. I think it was his last movie, but famously also um, Sean Connery. He turned down The Matrix. He turned down Lord of the Rings to play Gandalf so he could do the movie League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. You know what I call that movie whenever we used to see the previews for it? The League of Extraordinarily Old Gentlemen, if people are wondering what I call it. Yes, (laughs) yes. When it came up. I'd never heard of that until the Sean Connery thing. But no, Gene Kelly just said, that's it. I'm not doing this crap anymore. Well, and it's almost better to step away if like you do something like, again, I've never seen Xanadu, so I don't, I don't know. I can't speak from experience or whatever, but if you know something's not good that you're in and you're just fed up with it, why continue to make, and I understand that like character actors need to work or whatnot, but Gene Kelly was not a character actor. No. I'm sure he <laughs> was fine in that department. So good for him for walking away. No, and there was a couple of uh, kind of movies that came out that were clips of old Hollywood movies called That's Entertainment. And mm-hmm. Gene Kelly was in a lot of those. Those came out after Xanadu, but that was his first like role, his first credited, or his last, I'm sorry, credited role. I just did not know until literally about an hour ago that 
he died 17 years later <laughs> or yeah. 16 years later. So, I mean, to put it in sports terms, you can walk away and everybody miss you and be befuddled like Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders, or you can stick around too long like Carmelo Anthony, or may he rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. So now I want to talk about Raul Julia, who is a man whose last film he did, uh, he, he was dying of cancer. Raul Julia died when he was 54 years old, okay? Jeez, that's too young. Yes. That's way too young. And you want to talk about a guy who was... I mean, if he was still alive today, we would he'd be getting Lifetime Achievement Awards just based off of his work by the time he died. He was an incredible, incredible actor, stage actor. He won some Tony Awards. He film actor. He's, he's won Golden Globes. He's nominated for Oscars. I mean, he had just a murderer's row of films that were incredibly, incredibly good. I know I'm going to say this guy's name wrong, but the guy that plays Fredo in the Godfather movies, John Cazale, Cazale. Um, our, our mom would know. Yeah, she would know. He, here's another guy. He only ever did five movies. All oh, five wow. movies nominated for Best Picture. But another guy that died of cancer died fairly young. So, but, you know, Raul Julia is one of these, again, big time actors. So when they decided to do the Adams Family movies, mm-hmm. he was cast as Gomez Adams. That's probably where mm-hmm. you know him most from. Uh, 100%. <laughs> that's what I know. And he's phenomenal no he is and that's he and uh angelica houston actually gave those movies weight by those performances oh what's her face um christina ricci's really yeah well yes yes she is but but angelica houston and raul julia were highly respected actors and they're doing this quote-unquote kids movie but it's not really no not at all (laughs) it became legendary they did the two movies and it was again they're legendary legendary films Mm. well he gets diagnosed with cancer, doesn't really have much time that he knows of. Maybe he has one more movie in him. So for this incredible career, and he chose this, by the way. So he, he picked. He decided to do the Street Fighter movie. Ugh. Maybe he just wanted to have fun. Maybe That's, and did. you know what? You look at interviews with him, and he looks terrible. You could tell he was sick and dying and stuff. He said he wanted to do something for his kids. And he had okay. you hear him like the Street Fighter movie is known for two things. It's known for tons of cocaine or being terrible. Yeah, but (laughs) incredible amounts of cocaine being done by all the other actors. And then Raul Julia dying and playing the bad guy. Now, yeah, he's like the the dude in the video. I cannot think of the guy, but he wears like he kind of looks like a Nazi in the video. Yeah, it's M. Bison. Yeah, M. Bison. Yeah. But here's the thing. So, yes, bad movie, terrible movie. Everything, every part he's in is great, though. And I'm going to play a speech, probably one of the most well-known speeches of the movie. And again, people can't see this, but you can hear his voice. But this is a moment in a terrible, terrible film where greatness comes. I'm sorry. I don't remember any of it. You don't remember? For you, the day Bison graced your village was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. So again, like I said, Ty, you couldn't really see it, but you see him walking around while she talks about all this stuff, and he looks totally disinterested. He's mixing himself a drink, and he just... That is in such a terrible movie. Like, if that was a line that a James Bond bad guy said, it would be legendary. Yeah, I mean, in any solid movie with a villain, if they said a line like that, that that would be my Tuesday, or that was my Tuesday, is that's incredible. 
that's great work by somebody who was dying while making a <laughs> not very good movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I give him credit. You know, unlike Gene Kelly or Sean Connery, they're like, I'm just done. He had one last chance. He knew it. And, and he made some for his kids. Like, that's <laughs> cool, too, you know. I played Street Fighter as a kid. I'm sure his kids are roughly my age or so, or maybe younger than me because I'm going to be 40. But still, that's pretty cool that he did something like that for his kids. Again, it's his last movie. He wants to have fun. And here, mm-hmm. here's the thing about Raul Julia that I'll, I obviously don't know what he's thinking, but I always respect. He could have done any low-grade Oscar bait film, and they would have handed him the Academy Award. Absolutely. <laughs> but he did not do I'm willing to bet you that a lot of people, hell, I would have nominated him Best Supporting Actor. A lot of people considered it, but they're like, God, we just can't do that with, uh, with freaking Street Fighter. It's too bad of a movie. To, and the Oscars are a joke as it is, but that's just, I mean, that's, that's too bad of a that, I mean, I'm stumbling here because they did nominate people from that hillbilly elegy movie written by that horrible, horrible guy yeah. from Ohio. So I guess they will, you know, do anything for makeup. But Street Fighter is like the room level bad. Movie. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm going to talk about another legendary actor, but had a very, very long career. Again, won Oscars, nominated for tons of Oscars. A guy that I remember when our grandfather passed, our grandpa Louie. I remember there's an old picture of him that they put up and everybody said, oh, my God, he looks like this man, Paul Newman. And so that tells you guys where our good looks come from. (laughs) Yeah. An actor who had, again, just a legendary, legendary career. And a lot of people get down because the only time he ever won the Oscar was for The Color of Money, which Mm -hmm. was just a sequel to another movie that he should have won the Oscar for. or Not Cool Hand Luke, The Hustler. A lot of people are like, oh, that's them just finally giving an Oscar. I encourage people, go watch Color of Money. It's a really good movie. But I also like, real quick, too, Paul Newman. I've seen plenty of his movies, but I, I go to The Simpsons all the time where Marge is you know, daydreaming about the, the brawny guy. Mm-hmm. And Homer looks at Mama Celeste, and she's like, if you touch me, I cut you. And then he looks at Paul Newman's salad dressing, and Paul Newman says, I said no to so-and-so an actor, so you know the answer is going to be no for you. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, Paul Newman also, I have to say, he did the the Newman's own, like uh, mm-hmm. salad dressing and sauces. And go check out what they do. It is genuinely great what they do. That yeah. is genuinely a good company. So for all intents and purposes, a good dude. Well, yeah. Paul Newman, after he wins his Oscar, still has a good career ahead of him. He does. He did the Hudsucker Proxy. Um, I've never seen that. I've heard it's really good, though. Yeah, I, I think I like that a lot. Uh, he did this movie, Nobody's Fool, a bunch of war nominations again. In 2001, he played himself on The Simpsons in The Blunder Years. So I th- <laughs> <laughs> so that's his voice. 2002, one of my favorite films ever. He does Road to Perdition. Should have won an Oscar for that one. So he did a lot of things, but again, he's a guy that's getting older, all this other stuff. So his last movie, his last credit, there's a couple of like narrations or documentaries. And after this was the was 2006 movie Cars. Oh, wow. He played the Doc Hudson. But it was, again, kind of a big deal. I mean, this is still early Pixar, too. So you're getting a legendary, and again, I cannot just stress that, legendary actor to play a major role. And I remember he passed away shortly after I think Cars was either completed or came out. And I remember thinking, 
you want to just talk about the weird uncanny valley of the Cars movies. In the second movie, there's like a memorial to him, to uh, Doc Mm -hmm. Hudson. So in the Cars movies, the Cars die. Yeah. (laughs) Which is nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely nuts. Yeah. Yeah. They have eyes, mouths, they have feelings, and they can die. (laughs) I guess... Real life cars can die if the battery dies, you know? Yeah. And but you can always get a new battery. Yeah. And a lot of these I'm talking about, these are in our lifetimes, the things that we remember. Cause I remember this happening, happening. I know some people can talk about what's his name, Robert Shaw and Jaws, who essentially drank himself to death. I didn't really know him. Or even when we talk about accidents in the second half, I'm not going to really talk about James Dean or something like yeah, that. These are sure. stories that we know. But one of an old actor that I remember, I remember re- <laughs> really, really well is uh, Oliver Reed. So do you know who Oliver Reed is? No idea. Okay, so this is kind of like my, uh, my Robert Shaw story, I guess. So he, his last movie was the movie Gladiator. And he... I hate, I hate that movie, by the way. You're the only person I know. <laughs> I know. My wife loves it. I cannot stand that movie. Yeah. Russell Crowe's a big Michigan fan, so you'd think I'd love it. Oliver Reed was known to be a drunk. He was kicked off of a lot of movies for being a drunk. He's known for this, but again, well-known actor. People seem to like him, all this other stuff. During the filming of Gladiator, okay, one day after filming, he sat down and he drank eight pints of, uh, of beer, Jeez. a dozen shots of rum, half a bottle of whiskey, a few shots of cognac, and he was in a drinking match with a couple of local sailors. This is all in one day? Yeah, died of a heart attack that night. No kidding. I mean, good God almighty. You put that much alcohol in your body, like, people are going to say legendary stories, but it's going to be because you, you're you dead from a heart attack. Yeah. I mean, he was 61, which, again, by no means is old. Not but it's old, but But it's also to another point I do tell people that he is known to have been a heavy drinker his whole life, that I'm shocked he made it that far. Clearly, yeah, 60. I mean, and what makes you think after a day of shooting – you know what I'm going to have? I'm going to have eight, eight <laughs> pints of beer. Well, that's not enough. I need a dozen shots of whiskey. Well, that's not enough. I mean, that's just, that's excess, man. That's, I, clearly he had a problem, man. He did, his only way of dealing with it was drinking. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, I mean, again, he's, it's not a, well, tragic because it, it was one of those things that wasn't a shock, I think, yeah, to a lot of people absolutely. at the time. We should talk one day about. I think we have. Yeah, we have done a podcast about things that are way hype that we don't like. Because I don't like Gladiator either. Mm, okay, but um, are the only ones. I yeah, guess. but it was. I mean, on another side, here's a guy that's that's very much alive. But you know, on the like, I don't know what kind of insurance or whatever they had to do to take out on Oliver Reed when they did um, Gladiator. But I know that. It was paramount at the time because a lot of people don't know this about the early Marvel movies. They were not Disney. I believe the first Iron Man movie Paramount had done. I know Paramount had done the first Captain America movie in conjunction with Marvel. The reason why they're all on Disney Plus now is that Marvel retained the distribution rights. And so, but anyways, um, so I know when John Favreau came and a lot of people i'm gonna digress a moment a lot of people don't know this but iron man when i was growing up was nothing was like a third a level c guy okay when it came to marvel your big ones were the hulk spider-man captain america to a point the x-men yeah iron man was just way down the list so 
They had the script they liked. John Favreau was he was proven to be a pretty good director. He'd already done Elf by this time. So he really wanted Robert Downey Jr. And Paramount said, hell no, you're not giving you're not having him. It's too much of a risk. He's a drunk. He's going to die on set. He's going to get arrested, whatever. So they made Favreau said he walks if he doesn't get him. So they made a deal. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. got paid the minimum to be an Iron Man, which I think was like the minimum anymore. Well, it was like two hundred fifty thousand. But he retained a percentage of. All the movie, uh, the money the movie makes, and anytime Iron Man is in. So when he did Iron Man, he made like two hundred fifty thousand. He made over seventy million dollars for Endgame. Oh my god! That's so, just Endgame, also. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> uh. My point is, there was the same career. I'm sure with Oliver Reed, and he sure as hell did die on set. Robert Downey yeah. Jr. is still with us. With, he seemed with, to. Have- Cleaned his act up. Yes, yeah. It's just outside of Tony Stark, you can't seem to pick a good movie role. Well, I guess Sherlock Holmes. He's made some. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is not great, though. <laughs> that movie's kind of, I mean, Guy Ritchie kind of peaked with uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking, but if yeah. he even made that movie. Okay, Ty, I'm going to end on the famous one, this first half on the famous one that I am actually wrong about. Okay. So Orson Welles, okay? Yeah. Legendary, legendary, legendary director. Yeah, and another thing with him, and I, again, I'm going to be 40 in December, but the only thing I knew about him prior to like when I got into movies was from the TV show The Critic, where he's reading a commercial in that show, the actor playing Orson Welles' voice is reading a commercial in that show, and he's talking about peas, yep. and he says, you know, something about their something and their green penis, which <laughs> always made me laugh as a kid. Yep. Oh, and also... Real quick digression, people. If you never watched The Critic, that show rules. Oh, The Critic's great. Yeah, you talk about the green penis. So that is, um, that's actually based off something that really happened. Okay. Okay. So there's a, there is a commercial for a, like a, an American wine or cheap champagne or non champagne thing. And if you go and you go, you look at drunk outtakes of Paul Mason wine commercial, this is what you're going to hear. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So, Paul Masson. 102, take three. Action, please. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. So, wow. <laughs> and if you watch Where it, is Orson Welles from? Yeah, he's he's American, I believe. <laughs> but he, uh, uh, no, he's he was born in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Oh, jeez, he doesn't sound like he's a Wisconsin. Wisconsin. (laughs) But he is, this is late Orson Welles. And if you watch those outtakes, there's these two actors, this this guy and this girl. And man, are they pros. (laughs) They're doing their best. While Orson Welles is just drunk and going, oh, the French. Yeah, to say that third take is, uh uh-huh. Before he even gets in there. So obviously Orson Welles, at 25 years old, makes Citizen King. Another yeah, I get it. I understand why it's important. That movie is mad boring. Now, I I told this to my son the other day because we were like, "What's the best Mario game ever?" And I'm like, "The best one's Odyssey." But I go most, but most people will say 
I, well, I even say, no, the best is Odyssey. But what's the most important? You know, yeah, it's a absolutely. better game than Mario 64 or Super Mario Brothers. But Mario's Super Mario Brothers, Mario 64 are two of the most important video games in history. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, and the stuff that Orson Welles did with Citizen Kane is still being done today. Like, yeah, but he was the first. And if you go, you look at you know Orson Welles' career. I mean, there's there's like the opening shot of Touch of Evil, which is really famous. It's great. There's um, a, a movie called Times at Midnight, where he plays. Um, oh God, I can't remember his name, but basically it was uh, a bunch of different uh, Shakespeare things that he mm. and he had a bunch of super famous people in it and stuff like that. So Falstaff, that's who he plays. So, you know, he is a guy that still had a career. People still respected him. You go, you read interviews with Wells. He is, like, great. But again, the guy, the 80s, some kind of weird time. So a lot of people, including me, think his last movie is a Transformers movie, the 1986 animated Transformers movie where he plays Unicron, the planet-eating Transformer bad guy. And there's lines in it that I think are interesting and good. And Orson Welles has an iconic voice. That wasn't technically his last movie. There was some movie that came out two years later, but it was filmed before Transformers. Transformers was the last one he actively worked on. But again, the guy that said Rosebud ends his career saying, I am a unicron. <laughs> God, that's, that's nuts. And like, it just The thing about him and Marlon Brando also, it's kind of eerie how the end of their careers were. Brando, I almost put on here, but his last movie is actually a great movie. It's a movie Not called really. The Score. It's got um, oh, Ed Norton in it, Robert yeah, De Niro. Yeah. yeah, that's that's actually a really good movie. Too bad his last movie couldn't have been The Island of Doctor. Oh, that's what I want to think. <laughs> if it was, we would have been talking about that for a half hour. 100%, dude. <laughs> Hello all, this is RD, and I want to take a minute here just to talk to you about how you can support this great podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, all the work we do on SeedSing.com, and especially all the hard work that Ty does bringing you the sports knowledge and the pop culture knowledge that you just so deeply want, and how you can support me bringing you all the political knowledge that you definitely do not want. We have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com and look up the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. And for just five bucks a month, guys, you are going to continue to be able to give you all this great content, give you the things that we are also craving that we know we need. And then in addition to that, we're going to be launching a Patreon-only podcast called the Ex-Millennial Man Political Report, where we're going to go through kind of more of a deep dive on my personal thoughts and other people's thoughts on what's going on politically around our country. That way we can keep the Ex-Millennial man as your place where you're going to go to find out all the most important things. Guys, we created this, Ty and I did, because me being from Generation X and he being a millennial, honestly, I was tired of hearing about Citizen Kane's the greatest movie ever. It's a good movie, don't get me wrong, but we kind of got tired of, wait, nothing since Citizen Kane can be better? I mean, come on, Back to the Future is way better. To some of us, Fast and Furious movies are way better. This is a place where we can talk about that stuff and where you're going to get that, again, not opinion, true fact of what is the greatest ever when it comes to music, sports, politics, all that stuff is SeedSing.com and the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. So come on over to Patreon. Five bucks a month is all it is. And hey, if there's something more you need from that, come hit us up. Tell us. You need t-shirts? We can give you t-shirts. You need handshakes? Maybe we can give you that. But come on over to Patreon, the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, and now I'm going to get you back to the conversation.
Okay, Ty. So, like I said, this is going to be some kind of shocking, some kind of sad, and sad stories. And like the last one is, if you have never heard this story, you're going to just be like, "What in the holy hell?" And I'm going to make you hate a director you never knew you were supposed to hate. Michael Bay, because I already despised. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. The the director of Animal House and Three Amigos. So. Oh no! How dare you? Yeah, get how ready for you? that. But before off mic, you were talking about something recently, something incredibly sad. So what was that actor? So, yeah, I had asked you just because of what we're talking about, if you were going to bring up Chadwick Boseman today. And I know a lot of people my age know him. We talked about Marvel in the first half. He Black Pan- or was Black Panther. I believe, you know, Black Panther is the best thing Marvel's ever done, in my opinion. So when he passed away, it was a genuine shock. I believe you texted me that Chadwick Boseman died. I'm like, there's no way. And then when I looked it up, it was confirmed. He had had cancer. His family kept it quiet. And we were talking off mic about it. And his last movie, it wasn't Black Panther. It wasn't the crime movie he did called like 21 Bridges or something. It was uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which our parents watched and they recommended I watch it. So I did. And this was a movie where you, like after we found out Everything about Chadwick Boseman, you could tell something was wrong. He's real skinny. His voice is kind of quivering. He just doesn't seem like he doesn't have that magnetic personality they had and everything else. So that being said, he was incredible in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That movie, that's a really good movie. A lot of uh, enough people don't talk about it because it was it got Oscar nominations. Yeah, really, you know, but people don't talk about it anymore. But Chadwick Boseman was this is an instance, you know, opposite of Orson Welles where he went out kind of on top it's just a shame that he died when he was i think 44 years old and you could see how sick he was if you, if you go back and, w- and watch my rain's black bound now you can say oh that is a man dying of cancer who's putting on one hell of a show yeah and if you uh, like i not too long ago watched black panther again mm-hmm. and then i remember i went back and watched parts of the five bloods and you can even see yeah. it there I mean, yeah, well, and just like with the, the, the previews for the new Black Panther now, too, it brought back all these memories because you see the picture of him on on the wall and you hear Angela Bassett talking about she's lost her husband and her son. It's just like, oh, yeah, stop no. reminding us <laughs> yeah. that he died so young. Yeah, well, let me continue to bring you down that pit, Ty, because this is one you definitively remember. Now, our parents obviously remember John Belushi really well. I don't remember it as much. I was a bit younger but I grew up in that household. I was telling somebody the other day, I grew up in the household of David Letterman. I grew up in yeah. that type of stuff. So I was old enough to start being contrarian when Chris Farley hit the scene and saying, oh, he's just a, a second tier John Belushi. How dare you? <laughs> All time favorite actors. But you, you go back like somebody recently was showing like Chris Farley coming into Letterman's show one night and you, you go back and you look at Chris Farley. Just great. Just great on so many levels. And he did not die on set. He died young, 33, drug overdose, all these things. But I did want to bring him up, Ty, because he is one of your favorite actors. And I want you to guess what his last film was. Real quick before they do that, too. It's funny you bring him up because earlier today I was like scrolling on Instagram or Facebook or something in the head. And one of my favorite SNL skits of his that isn't wide known, he's at a Shamu show and he's in the splash zone talking to Janine Garofalo who's playing his date. <laughs> he's the only one who gets splashed the whole time. It's hilarious. I recommend people people need to check that one out and check out the one with him and Norm MacDonald and Tim Meadows where they get mauled by a bear and Adam Sandler. Anyway, <laughs> if I had to guess, I, I don't think it's Beverly Hills Ninja. I believe it's the Northern movie he made with... Um, Almost Heroes. 
Almost Heroes. That's what I would guess. Almost Heroes came out in May of 1998. In okay. June of 1998, the movie Dirty Work came out. Oh, how can I forget that? That's one of my favorite movies. God, God. and he's so good in that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and just so you know, I'm looking on this at Wikipedia. So he had completed at minimum 85% of the voice work for Shrek. For Shrek, yeah. So That's a big story, yeah. He was supposed to do that. There was other movies that got stopped because obviously he passed away, but he was to play the 1920s comedian Fatty Arbuckle in a script written by David Mamet. Oh. Uh, he was wow. supposed to be the cable guy. That was scheduling that he didn't get to do that. He was supposed to play Ishmael in Kingpin, oh, but he had to man. turn it down to do Black Sheep. Oh, Black Sheep's <laughs> a great movie, too. He, there was a third Ghostbusters film in development with the original cast. He was supposed to be in that. He was supposed to I, either do voice work or play in a version of the Captain Underpants books. Oh, wow. My kids would have loved that. <laughs> Probably one of the most uh, famous movies to never get made is a confederate confederacy yeah. of dunces and one of the closest they've ever gotten was farley in it to play the lead so left behind i mean not just his own legacy but uh a lot of what ifs yeah and i know people will probably be madder say i'm just saying it because they're in the moment but i genuinely think he's the greatest snl cast member of all time he's the one who made me laugh the most i love will ferrell i love adam sandler i love chris rock I'm a fan of all those people. Tina Fey's a genius, but I, Chris Farley was like the first person I ever truly noticed on that show. Another one, and not really died on set, but it's somebody I've thought, I've thought a lot about lately because I follow this like on this day in movie history, and they're like all these movies that have been released, and there's been some some killer killer films by this person released around this time. Uh, one of which is Uncle Buck, and mm. it's John Candy. Now, yeah. I really vividly remember the day the day John Candy died. I was he was only forty three. I was in a, I was in a freshman year in college, and I remember I was on a date with this girl, which I don't think lasted beyond this date because she did not understand my sadness. But it was the exact same day that Kurt Cobain like went into a, a coma. He'd taken too many drugs, went into a coma it was a couple of weeks before he died. But it was the same that same day John Candy died. And everybody was so obsessed with the Kurt Cobain news. And I remember, I think, telling my date, like, what the hell's wrong with you people? John Candy just died. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. But his last movie is a movie that I think is actually somewhat underrated. And so hold on. Let me guess. Yeah. Is it the Michael Moore directed, like, where he's, uh, I want to say he's, like, trying to solve a case or something? No. So the movie's Canadian Bacon. Canadian Bacon. Yeah. I've seen it before. Yeah, and you're right. Yeah. It is directed. It's the only non-documentary directed by Michael Moore. Basically, what happens, he's, I think they're like Buffalo Cops or something like that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I know there's some crime angle. Well, what they do is they're, they're in Canada watching a hockey game, and he says that the beer sucks in Canada. And so he starts a war between Canada and the United States. <laughs> okay, that's what it is. Right. <laughs> and, and there's a great scene near the end of the movie because they're captured as prisoners of war. And, like, the war never happens or they're allowed to go home. And they're like, yes, we get to go back to the beauty of America. And you see them leaving Canada, which is filled with trees and lush, and walking into Buffalo, which looks like hell. Yeah, Buffalo <laughs> is like Mad Max already. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that's an underrated movie. I haven't seen it in a while, uh, but I love John Candy. I mean, anything John Candy did was great. He was in 
He was in Home Alone for what five yeah, minutes, and, it, and it's memorable. It's yeah. so memorable. But he was a great actor. Forty three. Funny and was his a heart attack? Or? Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Now I'm going to talk about the really scary crap. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Again, before our lifetime, but it's going to really factor in to his son. But I did want to talk a little bit about Bruce Lee. Yeah, I was a huge Bruce Lee fan. Oh. For some reason, in middle school, I became obsessed with kung fu and bruce lee it stopped after like seventh grade but sixth and seventh grade i was fully in so i know exactly what you're talking yeah and i've been getting into watching some of these hong kong action movies of the 80s and 90s a younger jackie chan jet lee chow young fat they're great Mm -hmm. bruce lee was something different Uh i mean just truly truly different and you go so you know famously bruce lee died he died at the age of 32 um, God, even younger than Chris Farley. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing you think about it how young he was. Now, I think Game of Death was his last movie. There's his character fakes his death in the movie Game of Death. When they have his funeral, the directors used real footage from Bruce Lee's funeral against the family's wishes. That's so uncool. <laughs> I mean, That's so wrong on so many levels. Now Bruce Lee had a kid, Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee was only 28 when he died, but the crow is such a good movie too. I don't care if people call me emo or guy. I love that movie. So you go, one of the movies that got me into watching some of these things, another podcast I listened to the four thirty movie. They were talking about Brandon Lee's first movie, this movie called showdown in little, little Tokyo with Dolph Lundgren. It's not a great movie, but you look at him and you can tell, wow, this guy's going to be good. I mean, yeah. he's really good at it. And then he did this movie, Rapid Fire, which he started to become big, really, really big. And The Crow, Crow was a big movie. Everybody knew it was going to be a big movie. Mm-hmm. You had Alex Proyas. I think it was his first movie directing, but it was at a time when they were making movies out of like uh, these graphic novels. This was one everybody was looking forward to. All the early reviews and everything coming out, really, really good. And scene where... Just a prop gun, and it something got lodged in there, shot him in the stomach, and he died. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how get the parallels from that, that movie Rust that is being yeah. filmed right now that has all the stuff around it. And you would think that people would learn their lesson and, like, why do they always have to have guns that look so realistic now and stuff? But Brandon Lee was 28, like you said, 28. He had his entire life ahead of him. He was going to be a super duper mega star and it's just so upsetting that his dad died so young and he died so young and like who knows what i mean they could both still be alive alive yeah Uh, yeah absolutely it's it is uh, unreal so now i'm going to talk about the i mean just pure and other other tragedies just things that are like holy crap and again bringing me up on (laughs) august afternoon yeah yeah. my kids last week is summer that's right so (laughs) i want to start this off with goofiness like xanadu and stuff but now i'm going to talk about the poltergeist movies oh those movies are so scary poltergeist there's a lot of things about that movie it's a movie i've thought about going back to but after i tell these stories i don't think i can ever freaking do it again there's, but there's certain movies I've seen once before and I will never see again. I think we've done a podcast on that. And The Shining's one of those. Poltergeist yeah. is another one of those movies. Poltergeist, uh, there's a scene in the movie where the whole idea is they, they built this playing community on top of an Indian reservation or Indian burial ground. And they're coming back. And there's a, a scene where they're, the uh, Joe Beth Williams, a wife, like slips at Craig T. Nelson, the coach. He was the yeah. husband. But 
she slips into the pool and it's raining and there's all these skeletons in there grabbing onto her. Ugh. Those were real freaking skeletons. Oh, God, <laughs> so, <laughs> so this movie is cursed, okay? Now, their oldest daughter is named by an actress uh, named Dominic Dunn, okay? That's who played their oldest daughter in there. And again, another person that they think is going to have a big career ahead of her. And she, Poltergeist was a big hit. They were talking about her. And uh, God, Poltergeist came out, I think, during the summer. I know if you look and you talk about interviews about it, Craig T. Nelson was really taking her under the wing and had concerns about her boyfriend. Okay. A couple of months after Poltergeist is out, Dominic Dunn, who was 20, 22, was oh. found strangled. Oh, my God. That's not the, the, the worst, though. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the little girl, Heather O'Rourke. So she was born uh, December 27th, 1975, was in a huge movie, had two huge sequels, was, uh, you know, very photogenic, all this other stuff. Why do we not know anything about why is Heather O'Rourke not making movies anymore? Ty? I don't know. Maybe she's Beto O'Rourke's wife <laughs> or something now. She died February 1st, 1988, at the age of 12. Oh, no. I mean, oh. that's how old my nephew is. My son is 10. My daughter's six. Like, that's nuts. So after Poltergeist 3, I think it was after Poltergeist 3 came out, She, uh, which wasn't her last movie. Her last movie was uh, this movie called Rocky Road, I, the movie I think she had done some work on and had died afterwards. But she became ill with a with a a disease, an intestinal disease that they believe she got from well water at her family's home. Oh, my God. So she had, while she was filming Poltergeist 3, she had to go get injections, basically, to stop uh, the swelling of her intestines, essentially. And she is a young girl, young movie star, and, you know, these were steroid injections. I was, when I was 12, I'd have steroids. You're, yeah. You get puffy. Your face gets big. And it seemed to, she didn't seem to like what was going on. Well, they don't know if she skipped anything. They don't know what happened. But she started, uh, shortly afterwards, she'd have, like, these flu-like symptoms. She fell at her home. They rushed her to the hospital. 12. She had a heart attack. They brought her back, had another heart attack. And then died. Jesus. That's horrible. <laughs> I mean, I mean. Oh, Poltergeist, Poltergeist 3, sorry, Poltergeist 3 was her last movie that went out. But yeah. That's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Absolutely tragic. And now I'm going to tell you the worst. Oh, my, well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and if you've never heard this story, you're never going to forget this story. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Maybe I haven't heard this story for a reason. The Twilight Zone movie. They made a movie off the Twilight Zone? Yeah. And okay. we've talked a little bit about this in the past, I know, but I'm going to go over it again. So there were four main directors on the Twilight Zone movie. There was George Miller, Joe Dante, Steven Spielberg, and John Landis. Uh, those are four very well-known directors. <laughs> yes. And John Landis, at that time, he had done the Kentucky Fried movie. Love that movie. Animal House. Blues Brothers, which at the time was the most successful film ever. Uh-huh. Great movie, too. He, he did An American Werewolf in London. Never seen it. And then I think Trading Places might have been before a a Twilight Zone movie or not. So he's doing Twilight Zone movie. And I, you've obviously never seen it. But the very first, first story in it 
is Vic Morrow, who plays the coach of the Yankees in the Bad News Bears. Okay, yeah, yeah. God, that guy was so mean. <laughs> oh, and he he's uh, the father of Jennifer Jason Lee, the actress Jennifer okay. Jason Lee, too. So <clears throat> yep. uh, Vic Morrow was... He a lot of the stories go. He felt like he wasn't getting as many roles, and so he's like, "Ah, he still wanted to act, still wanted to do this." So the story is, he plays. You, you go watch it. He's super racist. He says well, the worst things you can imagine about every people. He's with his buddies. He's like, "The so and sos are taking my job, and the so and sos are doing this." And and there's these two black men. They're like, "Hey, what's going on here?" And he's like, "What are you so and sos going to do about it?" Just totally racist. Jeez. And so he ends up like leaving the bar, but he's in Nazi Germany. Trying to hide because he's Jewish. And then it transfers him to like the civil rights movement. And he's black now. You know, it's Vic Morrow. You see him, but he's living the stuff. And then the last one, he's in Vietnam. And he's uh, one of the Viet Cong while the Americans are napalming and stuff trying to get away. The Vietnam part's the important part of this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the way the story ends, the story ends with him back in Nazi Germany basically being driven away, and he's a Jew that's going to go get killed. That's his Twilight Zone fate. That's not how they wanted it to end, though. They wanted it to end with him being the Vietnam guy, saving these two children from the American chopper and getting away, a more redemptive ending. But they couldn't do it. (laughs) So you go, and I'm going to give a lot of credit to a podcast I listen to called Behind the Bastards. They do two hours on the Twilight Zone movie, what happened, what John Landis did. So I'm going to I'm going to really shorten it up here. But John Landis wanted to get as realism as possible. Again, this is a guy that did the Kentucky Fried movie and and Animal House. He wants to have a realistic Vietnam scene. So the helicopter, they had like uh, pyrotechnics going off everywhere. And the guy who was in the helicopter was a former Vietnam, uh, Vietnam War pilot. The guy they felt like was okay. And Landis kept saying, I want you to get closer. I want you to get closer. And the... Basically, the people are all saying, look, you can't do this. It's too dangerous. But John Landis is a big-time director. He's the one driving the ship. And at the same time, you have Steven Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy, who are producers on this film, who are on John Landis's side. And so the other problem is there are two young children who are also in the cast, who are the two Vietnamese children. And Landis, there were rules against how long kid actors could work, especially nighttime. So he paid the parents under the table so they didn't have to list them. Uh, You you obviously know this is going to end very, very poorly. So Yeah, this is not good. It reminds me of Tropic Thunder. Yes. (laughs) So I'm reading from Wikipedia here, okay? This is July 23rd, 1982. Helicopter was approximately 24 feet above the uh, the two children actors in Morrow when heat from special effects explosion delaminated did something to the rotor blade caused the helicopter to plummet and crash on top of them killing all three instantly Morrow and one of the children were decapitated and mutilated oh. by the helicopter blade the other child was crushed by the helicopter that's horrific how do you live with yourself after that Oh, it's about to get a little, well, not worse, but it's about to get a lot more infuriating. Landis and four other defendants, including the helicopter pilot, were ultimately acquitted of involuntary manslaughter after nearly a nine-month trial. The parents of the two children sued and settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. Both of Morrow's daughters also sued and settled for an undisclosed amount. Now, at the funerals, John Landis showed up to each funeral and talked about how hard it was on him. Oh, my God. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. 
Steven Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy left the country. Oh my God. They just bleed? <laughs> yeah. Bled? Yeah. They just got out of here? Yeah. John Landis made it about himself. Spielberg and Kathleen just, they just bounced. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's horrible. I mean, absolutely horrible. After that, he did do trading places so that he got work right away. Um, he I mean, did. Spielberg still working today? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kathleen Kennedy runs Lucasfilm for Disney. Jesus Christmas. Uh, I, and I don't know as much. Like I said, go listen to Behind the Bastards. They have more on it. Spielberg and Kennedy don't seem as heavily involved as Landis was. But Landis went on to have a great career. Now, he probably there's a couple of reasons he probably doesn't have as much of a career anymore, one of which is the movie Coming to America that he directed. He said some very unkind things about... Eddie Murphy. Yeah, sorry. Eddie Murphy about that. And so, you know, Eddie Murphy's more... Why would he say bad things about Eddie Murphy? Oh, he was like, Eddie Murphy was just trying to sleep with all the women on set and da-da-da, whatever. Eddie Murphy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Who cares? There's John Landis' son, Max Landis, who... Is a he? He's a writer. What did he write? He wrote uh, something. He wrote the movie Chronicle. Oh, okay, that was a good movie. The one where the kids like the found footage movie where kids have. Yeah, yeah, I believe that's okay, it. Yeah. He's B. Jordan's in that. Movie. Yeah, he's directed like some music videos, including Ariana Grande's. Uh, he wrote the script for the movie uh, Bright, the Netflix movie yeah, with Will yeah. Smith. So, and you know, his dad is uh, John Landis. But the reason you don't hear much from him anymore, again, Wikipedia, go to the controversy section and talk about all the misogyny and sexual assault accusations leveled to him. Oh, the, the, the Landis father and son seem like <laughs> quite a horrible, awful duo of people. I guess the the thing I can say in the end is if you're a bad person, you always get found out. I hope so. I mean, that's how it should be. So there it is, Ty. Are you uplifted now? No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm frustrated and upset. And these are horrible, horrific stories that, man, Hollywood's not as glamorous as people make it out to be. No, no. And I mean, these are like the Twilight Zone thing I remember. I remember hearing that. And then I remember seeing the movie. And the thing about that movie, there's some great Again, Joe Dante, George Miller. I mean, the worst one of those, if you take the Landis one out, the Spielberg one, which is still pretty good. But the the Joe Dante and the George Miller ones are excellent. I mean, nice. just absolutely excellent. And there, and you talk about things that get parodied again and again. Go back to The Simpsons, uh, Treehouse of Horrors, where Bart can do whatever he wants, tell people, and Homer was like mm-hmm. the jack-in-the-box. That was the one direct. I think that's the one that Joe Dante directed. Okay. And then the famous gremlin on the bus. That's yeah. from the gremlin on the airplane. With That's the one that uh, George Miller, or I think it was George, oh. I, I, or either way, which is uh, that that one in the Twilight Zone movie. It's John Lithgow plays the passenger that goes crazy. Is okay. a throwback to an old Twilight Zone episode where William Shatner played the guy on the oh, airplane. Wow. So there's some, I, I mean, there's some good ones in there, but God, I remember we watched that movie with our son and the whole Vic Morrow part. And I think recently before that, we'd watched Bad News Bears. It was just, oh, it's no. just weird. <laughs> he's so mean in Bad News Bears, also. I mean, he's mean to his own kid, but he's because his kid threw at somebody. Yeah. Yeah. He's a mean dude. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> but there, that's what I leave people with. Go watch Bad News Bears, the original. Yeah, Still great. great yeah, not the one with Billy Bob. <laughs> the one with Walter Matthau. And, I mean, there was a couple of others, but most of them, like, TV. Like, John Ritter, 
he died of a heart attack while he's doing TV. But his last movie was Bad Santa. Great movie. Great role in that, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, not bad with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. For some reason, I don't think that was Bernie Mac had a few other movies after that. Yeah, I'm just saying that he's another one who died young. Yeah, he died. So there. Well, Ty, if somebody needs to find you to uplift your spirits, where are they going to find you? Please do. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram, Ty Kulik, T-Y-K-U-L-I-K, all lowercase. More importantly, come read my stuff at Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. Football season's right around the corner. I'm doing my massive countdown that I do every year. I love writing these blogs because that means it just means football's right there. Check it out, Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. You can hear me on, I think, four episodes of Chucklehead Chat. A buddy of mine hosts that. It's a really fun podcast to do, so check out that wherever you get your podcasts. But most importantly, listen to me on this, the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. Rate and review us. I got ideas for the Patreon that I'm going to be throwing your way pretty soon. But just rate, review us, tell your friends about us, check us out. And as always, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, we repeat all that. Ex-Millennial Man, Seedsing, all that other good stuff. Sorry, I just got told that like the Phillies are the first team to ever lose 10,000 games. I was like, oh, okay. What the? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so yeah, make sure you do all of that. And I, I promise we'll come back with more uplifting stuff. Like you said, football's coming up. And for the first know how uplifting that is, but you, well, you have a good team in your I was about to say, for the first time in my Ohio life, and definitely for the first time in this podcast life, I'm going to not go into the Bengals season talking about how the Bengals are going to suck. So... Which they'll probably go like five and twelve or whatever. Well, Joe Burris, Joe Burrow just have like his appendix removed or something. Yeah, but he's back out there slinging. Okay, I heard he's back out there slinging, and everybody knows I'm a Michigan fan. I heard Dax Hill was great. Oh yeah, no, yeah, he is. He is really right, good. good. And all right, awesome. Even the town I live in, I live in a town called Loveland. We had a local kid who the Bengals signed, which was a good story. And at the end of the preseason game, he went six for six with a touchdown. So hey, good for him. I mean. He's going to he he was playing with and against a lot of guys that are probably not going to be in the league, but at least he has that memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was pretty cool. But all right, with that, Ty, I'll talk to you next time. The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.